Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Okay, so this is the, we, we started 1 Peter in uh, beginning of February, so four months ago. We're wrapping it up today. I'm going to try to summarize as best as I can. Obviously, we can't do four months worth of stuff in, in one message, so I'm just going to pull out a few things that I felt like were the most uh, meaningful to me or the, th- the threads that I saw the, the clearest, you may have something different that you pulled out, which is totally fine. So I'm going to look at just the last few verses. And of these last few verses in chapter 5, we're just going to talk about, about, about three of the words. So with the help of Silas, your Bible may say Silvanus. That's the same person. Uh, he, was an, uh, he was a prophet. Uh, he was called an apostle. He was a leader in the early church. He was a companion of Paul. He helped Paul write First and Second Thessalonians, and he helped Peter with, with this book. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you. So that's one of the words we're going to look at, encouraging you, and testifying that this is the true grace of God. That's the other word we're going to look at, and then stand fast in it. That's our last word. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings and so does my son Mark. She who is in Babylon is the church in Rome. Babylon is like a code name for Rome, and that's where Peter was. So he's sending a greeting from his church to these churches in, um, in Asia. And then Mark is the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark, who is one of Peter's... Uh, it, Peter probably kind of mentored Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. We're not going to talk about that at all. And peace, <laughs> peace to all of you who are in Christ. And we'll circle back to that. People kissed in a fan, like that's how family members greeted one another. It's Peter saying, hey, you guys are family, and so act accordingly. So uh, those three words I want to look at again, trying to pull together a couple of threads. Encouraging you, so strongly urging or appealing to you to stand fast or to stand firm in the true grace or in this real gift of God that I've been telling you about. What is Peter trying to get them to stand fast in? He's begging is not the right word, but he is strongly pleading with them to stand fast. If you were here last week, we talked about the, our position in Christ. We're seated with Jesus in heavenly places, and there, there's nothing in creation that's strong enough to break his grip on us. Jesus says, nobody can snatch you out of my hand, Paul says there's nothing in all the creation that's strong enough to separate us from the love of God in Jesus. That that grip is is firm and it's solid. So what the enemy's trying to do, we saw this again last week, prowling around, roaring like a lion. He's trying to intimidate Christians. He can't break the grip that Jesus has on them. So what he's trying to, to do is to intimidate Christians to breaking their grip. Just take some steps away. You're, you're safe and secure here, seated with Jesus. He can't touch you here. So what he's trying to get us to do is just deny a little bit and compromise a little bit and reject a little bit, which makes us then vulnerable to his attacks. That, that's the plan. That's what we talked about last week. And what Peter is saying is, just, just don't do that. Just stay where you are. You don't do anything. Just stand fast. Stay where you are. In Christ, just remain faithful to him. Persecution is a real threat to faith. The parable of the soils, that second type of soil is is shallow. It receives the the seed 
The seed pr- produces a plant really quickly, but then in the heat of the day, the plant withers and dies because it doesn't have any root. And Jesus unpacks that and says, that shallow soil, that's like, the, or, or the rocky soil, that, that's someone who initially says yes to Jesus with a lot of exuberance and enthusiasm, but then when trouble or difficulty comes because they're following Jesus, they fall away. That's a real thing. People who begin to follow and then it becomes difficult and they, they tap out. They, they deny, they reject. And Peter is saying, don't, don't do that. Remember, he's speaking from personal experience. The night that Jesus was betrayed, three times he denied even knowing Jesus, each time with an increasing level of intensity. And and, and the person who is questioning him societally is a nobody. It's a servant girl. You can't get less important than a servant girl in this context. She's the one who's saying to Peter, do you know know Jesus? And he's saying, no, 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 I don't. So he knows what it is in in, in a moment of potential risk, he knows what it is for your courage to fail. He knows what it is to wilt. And he's saying to these guys, don't, don't do that. He knows the shame that then is associated with that. Thankfully, he's restored. We know that 100%. This is not a one strike and you're out deal. But Peter is saying to these guys, persecution is real. It's a threat. And I'm strongly encouraging you just stay where you are. Remain faithful. Don't, don't reject. Don't deny. Don't compromise. Um, He he says, I'm testifying. This is what I want you to stand fast in. I'm testifying to the true grace of God or to the real gift of God. That's the whole letter. And if I could summarize the the letter and just with one word, it's perspective. Peter is giving the gift of perspective to these congregations. Remember, he doesn't know them. We said that way back in February. You've you've forgotten. He doesn't know them personally. I think he's writing to them because he, he gets it. He knows what it's like. And, and he's, again, personally trying to encourage these guys that he doesn't know to say, stand, stand fast. And so he's giving them the gift of perspective, and he gives them perspective on their own identity. He says to them, and these are two words that we've used repeatedly, elect exiles. You guys are chosen. You're selected. You've been picked out by God, a, a great image from the New Testament. You've been adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. To be elect speaks to your relationship or your standing with the Father. You're also exiles. That speaks to your relationship or your standing with your community. You're a foreigner. You're a stranger. You you haven't moved. You're in the same place that you've always been, but because of your allegiance to Jesus and the corresponding shift in lifestyle... You were an insider, and now you're an outsider, and that's, that's, again, that's real, and that's significant. That shift in your allegiance and the corresponding shift in your behavior has created tension within your community. You're facing resistance. You're being persecuted, and you're suffering because now you're following Jesus. And again, that's a real, tangible experience for these, for these guys when you think about adoption and exile, there's push-pull there. You think about adoption, someone being drawn in or pulled into a family. And you think about someone being exiled, being pushed out of a family or out of a community. There's that tension there, and they're both 100% true of believers. We're both elect, we're chosen, we're adopted into God's family, and we're exiles. We're foreigners and strangers in the places where we live. 
And in some, for some, as Peter's congregation, they have been literally pushed out of their families and out of their communities. New perspective for them. Peter unpacks that a little bit through the letter. He says, if you're, an, if you're elect, if you're a member of God's family, there's some things that you can count on. Your circumstances on the ground probably don't look great. Again, you're being persecuted, you're suffering, you're being persecuted by the government, your local government. You're, some of you, your, your slaves and your masters are starting to persecute you. For some of you women, you're married to unbelieving husbands and your husbands are persecuting you. For many of you, your neighbors are persecuting you. And that, I mean, that's just about every relationship you've got. You're feeling some pressure. But recognize that's not all that's going on. God's at work on your behalf. He, he's given you a new birth into a living hope. You may look out in despair at your life, but you can have a confident expectation of a better future because of your relationship with Jesus. People may be taking away everything that you have. But you have a, 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 an inheritance that's kept in heaven by God. It's safe and secure, and it will never perish, and it will never spoil, and it will never fade. You can count on that. And he's not just saving this inheritance for you. He's saving you for this inheritance. He's shielding you. That's a really strong word. That's the word that's used of military soldiers who are guarding prisoners. Think about the intensity of that. Protection and overwatch. That's how the Father is treating you. You may not feel that because you're being squeezed, but he is protecting, shielding, guarding you. He has an inheritance for you that nobody can touch, and he's saving you for that inheritance. Even if, and it hasn't happened yet, but we do know we know history, we're, re, we're looking back, it does happen. Even if you lose your life, you're gaining the salvation of your soul. Nobody can touch that. You have a joy that's inexpressible. You can live in a state of gladness even in the midst of difficult circumstances because of your relationship with Jesus. Your, your responsibility is to stand firm, but you don't have to do that on your own. God will strengthen you. He will make you firm. He'll make you steadfast. The Holy Spirit within you will empower you in that moment of decision to keep your feet on the ground and to stay faithful. And if, even if, like with Peter, there's a point of, compromise. God will restore you. Remember we said that was a strong word too. That's the mending of a broken bone. He'll put, the, he'll, he'll put you back together just like he restored Peter fully to relationship with Jesus. So yes, you're in exile and things are not great for you in the place where you live. But that's not the whole story. Anything that's taken from you, the Father will restore. He'll give back. Maybe not in this life, but in the next one. And this life, is, it, it, it's short in comparison to the next one. The grief that we're suffering now, it's, it's just temporary in light of what God is doing in us and what he will do for us. It's what it is to be elect. And the other reality is you're also in exile. And so you can expect persecution Jesus suffered for doing good, and you're going to suffer for doing good as well. You can see the words there behind me. We're going to call that social persecution. They're not being physically persecuted at this time, but they're being persecuted by, in all of their relationships. Their significant relationships are, are squeezing them, and that may not seem like, a, like too big a deal to you. So the, the, 
Culturally, uh, the New Testament is written in an honor-shame society. That's not really where we live. We have a bit of that. We're a bit more of a guilt and innocence society. There, but the New Testament in particular is more of an honor-shame society. And so sometimes we miss some of the nuances. Maybe you can, um, if you're in an honor-shame society, your highest value is to live up to the ideals of your community or your group. That's how you get honor. It's when the, the people around you look at you and say, he, that's it. That guy's a good Roman citizen. And shame is when they look at you and say, that's not it. You're not being a good Roman citizen. And again, that may not sound like a big deal to you. Maybe some of you at one point, maybe your dad said something to you like, hey, that's not what the Jacksons do. You're a Jackson and that's not what Jacksons do. That's shame language. Maybe you were called a black sheep at some point. That's shame language. That's that whole idea of this is what it means to be in our family and we expect you to live up to that standard and to behave accordingly. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just a different way of approaching life. Maybe uh, you've all done middle school and high school. Honor, shame, for sure. This is what it means to be a jock, and here's what it means to be a theater kid, and here's what it means to be a nerd. Like, it's like they all shop off the same rack. They're wearing the same clothes, driving the same cars, listening to the same music, walk the same way, talk the same way, sit at the same table at lunch, and if you break out of that group, if you do anything, you're out. You risk complete social isolation. It's a big risk. It's difficult to navigate through those times. And that's where these guys are living. They've made a decision to follow Jesus, so they're no, they're no longer following the local gods of their country. And then there's corresponding changes in their lifestyle. At one point, Peter says to them, you spent a lot of time living like the pagans do. Like, you've already done that. Don't go back. Your neighbors are looking at you, and they're surprised at the way you're living. And they're heaping abuse on you because you're no longer living the way you used to. Some of you may, became, may have become Christians a little bit later in life and you had an established identity within a group. And as you began to follow Jesus, that probably played itself out in some different lifestyle choices. And you may have felt pressure from your group. We don't like the new you. We like the old you better. When is that person coming back? And if you continued to follow Jesus, you may have found yourself on the outside. And that, that hurts. Cut off, isolated, ostracized, lonely pushed out of your group. That's what these guys are experiencing and they're getting it from everywhere. From the local government, from their employers, from their spouses potentially, from their neighbors. People are heaping abuse on them, shaming them. And the, 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 the pull to compromise, to deny, to reject would be very strong. And that's why Peter's saying, I am appealing to you, stand firm. And let, Yes, you are in exile, and that's not easy, but you're also elect. God is working. He is working. He's working in you, and he's working on your behalf. It's a new perspective on their identity. Don't be surprised at what you're experiencing. For us, we, we don't live in a place where we are persecuted for our faith. We suffer, but we don't necessarily suffer because we're following Jesus, and so it can be a bit difficult to say, well, how do I connect with what Peter is saying? The word holy is a good one. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, 
uh, just as the one who called you is holy, so be holy in everything that you do. For he says, be holy for I'm holy. To be holy, that encompasses both elements of being elect and being in exile. To be holy is to be set apart for God and to be set apart from the world. To be set apart for God, that's the elect, chosen for him. To be set apart from the world, that's the exile part. That's us being pulled or separated from the world. When we think about what we're, what we're, what we're separated for, it's for relationship and it's for purpose. From Genesis to Revelation, what God says is, I'm looking, to, I'm looking for a people to call my own. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. That's always been his plan, his intention, and his desire. Jesus did not die to forgive us of our sins so that we can continue to live independently of God, die, avoid hell, and go to heaven. That's not it. He died to forgive us of our sins so that we could be reconciled to God and begin to live now as sons and daughters until eternity and then through it as well. It's a very different understanding of salvation. Jesus is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. Jesus is the doorway to adoption. And so we're saved for relationship. So Peter says about being the elect, you're a chosen people, you're a holy nation, you're a royal priesthood, you're God's special possession. Even if your government gets, says you know, you're a bad citizen, you're part of a new nation now. Even if your boss says you're not a good employer, they fire you, you have a new profession, you're a royal priesthood. Even if your family and your neighbors ostracize you, you're part of God's special possession, you're a chosen person now. We've been adopted into his family. We're also chosen for purpose, set apart for purpose. God is working in our community and in the world, and he works exclusively through the church, which is all of us. Our slang for that is doing your deal, which is a bit corny, but it, it, does, it sticks in your brain. There's good works that God has created in advance for every one of us to do. He's wanting to work through you and work through me. Jesus said, pray that the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is answered through us. We're saved for relationship and we're saved for purpose. That's, what, that's part of what it means to be holy. Set apart for God. We're also set apart from the world. You see this particularly when, you're, when you read the Old Testament. Israel's different. The nation of Israel is different. God actually says, I'm treating y'all different than I'm treating all the other nations. I'm the king of all of it. But I'm treating y'all differently. Y'all are the only ones that I'm relating to like this. One of the reasons we trip in Leviticus is it's around this whole idea of holiness. The, the, the way that God distinguished his people from the other nations at times, it's the, the, the level of detail honestly can be almost mind-numbing. Read Leviticus 19, just the first 10 or 20 verses, and you see things like respect your parents and don't make idols. And you're like, absolutely. And then you read things like don't shave the edges of your beard and don't wear clothes made from two different kinds of material. How do those, how do those make it in the same list? They don't, seem near, like they, they don't seem nearly on the same level in terms of significance. What it is, is God saying, I'm holy and you're going to be. I'm setting you apart from every other nation. And, and that set apartness impacts every area of your life, not just your religious or your spiritual life. Every area of your life is gonna look different because you're my people and you're set apart from all these other nations. 
For us to be holy, it's the same thing. We are following Jesus, not other gods. Jesus is different. As you continue to follow him, there will be a divergence in your value system and in your behaviors from people who are not. Not necessarily on every issue, but there will be. If my life looks exactly like the life of someone who's not following Jesus, either that person's following Jesus and they don't know it, or I'm not. He's unique. His outlook on life is unique. The things he asks of his followers is unique. If we are, in, if we are literally walking after him, there's a divergence of paths between him and every other thing that we would follow, whether that's ourself, whether that's other gods, other systems of values or beliefs. There should, there should be a discrepancy there. There should be a, a, a difference. Again, not just on our insides, but also in terms of our behaviors. We're set apart for and we're set apart from. We're holy. That's what it is to be elect exiles. Peter, Peter also gives perspective on their situation, and this is really helpful. Suffering's no fun. Persecution is difficult to live through, and it can be easy to think, well, God's forgotten about me. He doesn't care. When you're in pain, oftentimes the thing that you most want is, well, how do I make this go away as quickly as possible? And for Peter's congregations, the way to make the pain go away is to deny and reject and to compromise. That means the persecution will stop once people get back in line with the society at large. And Peter's saying, don't do that. And he reframes their understanding of persecution. He says, listen, let me, what, what's going on? Yes, it's difficult. It's a fiery ordeal, but don't be surprised by that. In, in chapter four and in chapter one, he refers to their suffering through with refining language. We talked about this several weeks ago. Uh, when a refiner has silver or gold ore, he heats it up to a very high temperature and that causes the impurities to rise to the surface and then those impurities can be sloughed off. And Peter's saying, that's what your suffering is doing. That's the heat. It's turning up, your, your suffering is turning up the heat in your life and it's causing the impurities, the immaturities, the weaknesses in your faith to rise to the surface so they can be dealt with. Different image. You're, the suffering that you're undergoing, the persecution that you're experiencing, that's a trial or a test. It's the same word. It's an opportunity to see the, the genuineness and the quality of your faith. We hear test and we immediately think, I don't want to fail. That's not, that's not the New Testament picture. It's more, it's a snapshot, it's a progress report. Here's where you are. The goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. None of us are going to be fully conformed until he returns or we die. And so these tests, these difficulties, they're snapshots along the way. Here's a progress report. Your faith, it's yours until forever. So let's see where we are in the process. Where are the things that we can celebrate? Hey, my roots here are deep. I'm seeing the fruit of the Spirit in this circumstance. And then where are the things where we can say, you know what, I'm still falling short there. That's an area where I need to repent, where I need to grow, where I need to mature. Peter is saying, yeah, the, the suffering, the persecute, very difficult. He's not making light of that at all. He's just reframing it. 30,000 feet, look down. This, this is actually something God is using. Again, it's, it's heat that's bringing the impurities to the surface. It's a test that's allowing you to see the quality of your faith, a, a progress report for something that's eternal, the condition of your heart. Again, we, we don't suffer persecution because we're following Jesus, but we do suffer 
because we live in a fallen world and we have an enemy who's vicious in his attacks. We suffer chronic illness and pain. We suffer broken relationships and dreams. We grieve the loss of loved ones and hopes and we live with disappointment and frustration. There's suffering that we experience because we live in a fallen world. I don't know how often you or I say, God, give me your perspective on this. There's a, there's a tension for us. We wanna believe that God is powerful, and he is, and that he, he responds to the prayers of his people, and he does, and he can change circumstances, and he will. All that's 100% true, and we wanna continue to pursue that. And then also recognizing, not always. Circumstances don't always change. Rarely do they change as quickly as we want them to. If you read through 1 Peter, Peter nowhere says it's going to get better. He doesn't say that. He says it'll be better in the next life. He doesn't say all these guys who are persecuting you, God's about to smite them. He doesn't. He doesn't say they're on the verge of being converted and they're going to become your brothers and sisters. He says they may. You continue to abstain from evil desires. You do good deeds. They're going to see your good deeds over time and maybe they'll turn and glorify your Father in heaven. When he does talk about their sufferings, he says it's just for a little while, but the caveat is a little while is the rest of your life. It's just a little while in light of eternity. There's no rose-colored glasses from Peter. What he's saying is here's how you live as an elect exile. Here's how you live in the, and here's a way of understanding your suffering. Even without that suffering necessarily being mitigated. And so for us, we want to hold on to this truth that God is powerful and he works and sometimes we don't see the, the, we, we don't see the changes that we've been seeking, that we've been asking for and that we've been desiring. God, can you give me a perspective? What, what, how are you using this suffering in my life? And it's the same way he's using the persecution in the lives of Peter's congregation. It's a fiery ordeal. It's not unique to you. We all experience those things. It's a refining fire. The suffering turns up the heat in our life. It causes the impurities of our faith to rise to the surface so they can be dealt with. The suffering we experience, it's a test or it's a trial. It's a snapshot, a progress report. Here's how you're doing. Again, not, it's not a pass-fail thing. It's a progress check on the, on the road to becoming more like Jesus. Where am I? What are the things that we're, where we can celebrate and what are the things where there's still some, some work to be done, where there's repentance and, again, maturing and growth? I don't know if you think that way about the difficulties in your own life or the suffering. I think, again, when we're suffering, normally what we do is we try to figure out how do I make the pain stop immediately? And there, the danger in that is oftentimes the way to make the pain stop immediately it's, 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 it's not righteous, it's not holy, it's not healthy. And that's what Peter's trying to get his guy, don't do that. The way to make it stop for you guys is to distance yourself from Jesus and go back to living your old life. Don't, don't do that. It's not worth it. I was thinking of something when we were singing that second song, Good Plans, I don't know, for some of you, I would imagine in a room this size, that, that for some of you maybe rings hollow. You, you don't know that God has good plans for you. You're kind of looking at your life and maybe the landscape is a bit desolate. You're not seeing the good plans. Maybe there's something you've been hoping for and hope deferred makes the heart sick. You're not 
that, that's a hard one for you to get your mind around. And we want to pray for you. We want, we're, nobody's going to tell you what God is. Nobody's going to be directive in terms of saying, here's what God's doing in your life. But we do want to pray that you would have a deep sense of confidence that the, that the Father has good plans for you. Now, I was tying that in uh, in my mind to that last line of Peter, peace to all who are in Christ Jesus. Peace in the Bible is a massive, massive word. It means way more than the absence of conflict. Y'all have heard that Old Testament word, shalom. That, that's the word for peace. And, and the, the, the freight and the weight of that Old Testament word is carried into the New Testament. It, it's a sense of well-being and harmony in every area of your life. And that's God's desire for us, is that we would experience and walk in his peace. And what the enemy wants to do is rob you of peace. There is certainly an internal calm, but that's not necessarily, that, that certainly doesn't exhaust what peace is in the Bible. It's, it's way more than how, how you feel in a particular moment. Again, it's, this, it's, it's well-being or harmony in your relationships with God, with yourself, with your environment, with other people. And again, there's, there's some of that. Paul says, as much as it's possible, live at peace with other people, or as much as it depends upon you, there's some limits to where that goes, but it's God's desire for us. I'm wondering, and again, at a room this size, I would say 100%, there are people in here, you, you're not at peace right now. There's not, your soul is not at rest. Again, I'm, I'm talking beyond just um, how you feel in the moment. When you're looking at your life, there's something unsettled in your life. And we want to pray this last sentence for you, that you would know the peace that Jesus wants to bring. So those two things as we close, Bo's going to come back, Bo and Megan, they're going to lead us in a time of worship and ministry. And if you're either wrestling with this idea of good plans and you're going, I'm not seeing that we want to pray that God would, in your own heart, that idea of a living hope, that God would reignite hope in your heart, that confident expectation of a better future. There are good plans for you. I don't know what they are. I don't know when they come to pass, but he's a good father, and he hasn't forgotten about you. And then also this idea of peace. If you would say right now, there's, a, there's an area of my life that's just unsettled, we want to pray that you would experience the, the shalom, to use that Old Testament word of God in that area. It may be physical, it may be relational, I don't know. But we want to pray for God to do that. So you guys can stand. I'm going to say a prayer. Ministry teams, you guys can come forward. And Bo and Megan will lead us in a time of worship, ministry, and then they'll dismiss us. One of the, it's the last line in chapter 2. Peter says, you're returning to Jesus, the shepherd and overseer of your soul. And that's really the summary of what I, I want to leave you with as we close out 1 Peter. To recognize that you have a good shepherd who's overseeing your soul. And his name is Jesus. He cares, he protects, he provides, he nurtures, he guides. So Holy Spirit, I pray for everyone in the room kids, students, adults, those who've been here through the, all of 1 Peter and those who are just showing up for the first time. I pray that every one of us would walk out of here knowing the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. I pray that we would live holy lives, 
set apart for you and set apart from the world. God, I pray for those who are suffering, whatever the cause, those who are suffering here today. I pray, God, that they would have your sense of perspective. And God, we pray that you would work mightily in their circumstances. We pray that you would move, that you would shift things around. God, I pray for peace for those who write that there's just, there's something unsettled in their life. And God, I pray for those who are wrestling with the idea that you have good plans for them. Would you speak hope and confidence? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 